I've got to see some kind of an angle to where I'm going to be able to see a return if we're going to really invest in a yeah. in an artist. But but again, it's like it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter thing. If I, like just because it's different doesn't mean it can be successful and doesn't mean it can't make money. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Nashville's AIMP Pubcast, a one-on-one talk with Nashville's biggest and brightest independent music publisher. I'm Michael McAnally-Baum, I'm the president of SMAC, and I'm the secretary of Nashville's Association of Independent Music Publishers. Today's guest is Chris Van Belkum, also known as The Falcon. Falcon's a vice president over at Combustion Music, and he's worked with some superstar writers, producers, and artists, including Ashley Gorley, Brett James, Blair Daly, Matthew West, Matt Jenkins, there's more, Kelly Archer, Zach Crowell, Brett Tyler, and Nathan and Caleb Followell, to name a few. Leanne Phelan gave me the name Falcon back in 2004 when I started Combustion. Well, I worked for a guy, guy named Chris Farron. It was Chris and Chris, and it was too much to keep up with. And so one of our writers said, she said Van Belkum. Van Belkum is my last name. And she said, she said to Blair Daly, she said, Van Belkum. He goes, the Falcon, and it just stuck. So my, I wish it was a better story. I wish I'd saved, like swooped in and saved a drowning child like a falcon or done something cool, but... Not at all. It's just a. <laughs> it's a it was a mispronounce. Much like they talk about Miranda Lambert and how uh, she did the song "Fine Tune," turned it uh, in, and the publisher thought the word was "pontoon," and that gave Natalie oh, the yeah. idea to write a song called "Pontoon." I love that. That's so great. I'm pretty sure "pontoon" paid more than "Falcon," at least so far. <laughs> but someone will write "Falcon" one day, and I'll hope to get five percent or. Maybe 10. Maybe good. 15. You're in management a little. So uh, tell me a little bit about how what drew you to the music industry. I I guess I always, I've always been drawn to music, and I, I grew up playing in rock bands and stuff. And actually, when I took the job at Combustion, it was between... I had a I had a gig playing bass for this band that was going out to open up for 30 Seconds to Mars, and then I had this part-time job at Combustion. I ended up taking the Combustion job, which ended up being a smart decision because... I didn't realize how much I didn't want to be in a van that smells like feet and farts for months at a time. Life on the road, not for you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So did you go to school for music? I went to MTSU with and the then- music business degree. I, I interned for a company called Cal4 that's now um, Spirit Music. And um, yeah, I interned around and I, I had heard about the girl that was doing the just kind of tape room front desk job at Combustion. The uh, She was getting ready to move to Austin. So I just kind of started... I took an internship there, knowing that hopefully I'd be able to Make stick your around. Yeah, right. Right. I changed all the I changed all the uh, passwords, all the computers, and all of a sudden they, they couldn't get rid of me. So job security <laughs> yeah, and internet right. security. That's right. All in one. Yeah. yeah. What do you get most excited about when you go into work every day? I love, like, I really just I love hearing new songs. I love hearing work tapes and hearing a song from the very beginning. And watching it go through the process, going through the kind of the demo process, which is far far less these days because there's so many great producer writers. But I love hearing something from the beginning and then watching it all the way through and becoming like a number one song. Like watching that process go down is is exciting and it's it's addicting and it's thrilling and it's what it's what the I guess you ultimately get money for making those things do well. But the uh, the the personal kind of kind of rush you get from having something to do with a song that becomes a, a number one, or just even hearing it on the radio for the first time, like it's such a it's a rush. It's a huge rush. It actually, gets, it gets me like this sounds so dumb, but like 
I get all emotional all the time. I just watched our guys work with this band called Walker McGuire, and they played the uh, Opry over the weekend. And I couldn't go, but I watched the uh, I watched the Facebook live feed of it, and I was just tearing up. I was so proud. I, I get so proud of our guys, you know, like watching these dudes go from just a couple of dudes making country music to playing the Opry, you know, the like that's such a big deal, and it's so cool to watch them take these steps. I mean, that's a that's a small step at the beginning of their career. They got a song just in the 40s right now, you know, I've, I have no doubt it's going to end up being a being a success, but it's just cool watching it from the beginning and watching these little things that that mean so much to these guys. It makes my heart feel good. Yeah, and, <laughs> and conversely to that, what's the thing you don't look forward to every day? What's your least favorite part of your job? You know, once in a while we get a song where, that I know is a, is a, is just a, a super hit, and it's like, Nine times out of ten, there ends up being a bit of a battle between those songs where one artist will want it and another one will want it too. And uh, you end up kind of having to put out fires, having to try to make everybody happy, but also having having to try to do what's right for the song. But you're going to... I don't like disappointing people, I guess, and having to tell somebody they can't have something that they... We all know when there's a, when there's a huge song. Um, and it's like having to having to disappoint. I hate having to do that. Having to having to pull a song from one person to give it to another because the person I'm, the person I'm pulling the song from I want them to record other songs on their artists too you know it's 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 hard to kind of juggle those relationships We've actually got to work together too on the Sam Hunt project. And yeah, talk a little bit about Zach and how, what it's been like working with him and just seeing more opportunities open up for him. Well, Zach, Zach Crowell. Is, Zach was what's unique like Zach's Zach was you know the uh the the idea of the producer writer in Nashville is a relatively new thing, probably only a decade now. You know where that's where that's really been a thing, and he was kind of at the forefront of that. And what was kind of cool about watching him develop was a guy that works with us called named Kinley Flynn. He uh, he had kind of taken him under his wing early on, and I saw just the level of writers. He he was getting him with a bunch of developing beginning writers and a bunch of kind of random artists, and then I look at his calendar and there would be these like pretty big writers on his calendar. I was like, how did that happen? It's like, well, this developing guy wrote with this guy and he ended up bringing him in. Like, like the word kind of traveled on, on, on Zach and it happened really organically and, and just people wanted to write with Zach because he was bringing something cool to the table, something new and different to the table. And that was Sam early on when Sam, Sam's first write with Zach was, that song Cop Car that Keith Urban ended up cutting. And that was, we knew that they had something special at that moment. Like, it was like, that was that was Sam's whole, I, f- I feel like that that song particularly captures what Sam kind of is, you know? It, like, right. it is Sam Hunt, you know? It's, it's, that story is about his life, you know? And that's when we, that's when we first, uh, first realized they were kind of onto something. And then, yeah, I guess, then Shane started writing with, with Zach and Sam. Yeah. And that was when, when they came and, when Shane came, or uh, when Zach came and played me the demo for Break Up in the Small Town, that was when I was like, oh shit, this, this is, big. you know, this is big. And, and that's, I was so, that was an example of, you know, a lot of times records can kind of be over A&R'd, and this one was perfectly done. Stephanie Wright killed it on that record, because I remember he came in and played it, played that for us, and that is not a country song, you know, it's a, it's a pop song with a very country lyric. And when I first heard it, I was like, I just hope 
they let this be what it is. I know it's not country, but it's whatever it is, it's awesome. And it's really well done. Let's hope they let that be what it is. And they sure did. And they put it on the radio, which is insane. Still amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can even fast forward now to Body Like a Back Road. I mean, it's knocking on the doors of being the most popular country music of country song of all time. We're watching it. We're watching it like climb the top 40 chart and just like I don't, you know, they uh, it started happening organically too. That I, I think the label was telling us that Pop Radio started playing it, so they started working it there, which is it's, it's one of the it's one of the more fun songs to watch, you know. There's some of those songs that that enter the charts and you just kind of watch it just like I don't know what it's going to, you know. Yeah. You know, you're very unsure about, but with Sam, he's such a powerhouse as an artist and uh that song is so good it's so easy it's so easily digestible it's like it's it's no surprise that it's a that it's a mega hit you guys also have songwriters that you're helping kind of put their act together to to make an artist attempt what what is that like for you when a songwriter comes to you and says hey i really i've got something i want to say and can you help me say it well i gotta i gotta believe in them as an artist first you know that's that's where that all kind of begins i gotta really believe in the act and see the potential at radio and see how it see how it will uniquely f- work its way into the market cuz that's it's there's so there's so many artists battling for the same slot you know it's like it's it's such an overcrowded room but um is it hard for you to balance out like things that you're like god this music's going to be great but it might not have a commercial avenue how do you make that how do you square that like things that are you know what's working on country radio and even in the streaming space tends to be one thing but then there sometimes are things that just don't live in any actual avenue how what is, how does your brain process that's what you guys are doing such a good job of is boldly kind of just making creating a space for it especially with the genre lines blurring so much there's about to be like one radio station it's almost you know it's all kind of it's also nebulous now but um along those lines it's tough because you know you got to put your money into this it's not like as though you're like oh yeah we're just gonna put some music out on you i mean it's it's a pretty hefty investment even uh, if you try to do it as simply as possible yeah we're definitely yeah i've got to i've got to see some i've got to see some kind of an angle to where i'm going to be able to see a return if we're going to really invest in a in an artist but but again, it's like it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter thing. If I, like, just because it's different doesn't mean it can be successful, and doesn't mean it can't make money. You know. Well, speaking of money too, how, what, what's your gut feeling about what's happening with streaming and what that's going to do to publishers? I mean, you're a successful music publisher with a lot of different income streams, mm-hmm. but mostly you're on big songs. So there's there's you know you can weather this. What where, what is your gut telling you about the direction we're heading? Well, I I see. Only blue skies. The good thing is that the the, our, the the publishing side of the streaming rates are still messed up, but they're growing exponentially every day. So even though our piece is small, it's getting bigger every day. So I've, I feel confident they're going to be able to fix that. Um, and in the meantime, we're trying to get get a piece of the master side that's making so much money. You know, we're trying to we're trying to find ways to to control some masters. I mean, there's real money out there, and that's another good thing too with these developing artists. Like we're able to make a make cut an EP for under $10,000 and it doesn't take that many streams to make that up. So I've got a lot of artists that we're cut, we're cutting these records for kind of relatively, relatively cheap on the front end. And then they recoup pretty quickly if you get them on the right playlists 
And then that's just money. We we tend to like a lot of our deals. We tend to split those with our guy. Like once once it recoups, we split it, and that money just goes instead of you know a lot of, a lot of the tours that they're doing at this point are five hundred and a thousand dollar guarantees that hardly even cover their band and their and their van and their you know their gas. I mean, it's like a lot of that a lot of that money is just going back to feed the machine and make it work. And I feel like that that makes our like you know those developing artists to get a check for the music that you've made. Is a good feeling. I feel that that's that's good. That's good overall. It's good business. Yeah, it's just it's well, and and for the for these artists to watch their businesses starting to make money, you know, their 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 entity is a business, and for it to start to make money, that feels good, and that I feel like that just puts good mojo on the whole project and gets it and gets it feeling good. I'm, we're not like I ultimately want all these guys to get record deals and be huge stars, you know. So yeah, and mojo's contagious too, right? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of our listeners are going to be independent publishers who are either looking to take their publishing company to the next level and or you know maybe they're just getting into the game to begin with and a, a pretty common question that comes up is for successful publishers what 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 is it about somebody who you meet that makes you want to just see about opening up potential co-writes or how, how do you how are you introduced to new companies uh, and and who do, who's done that pretty successfully for you I guess a lot of a lot of, when I'm setting up a new co-write a lot of it has to do with the writer and the, a lot of the times I'm introduced to the writers just from running into people around town I really feel like it's especially in Nashville the way the publishing world works you have to immerse yourself in the community and be a part of it. And like, I think I think the majority of the great writers that I hear from other publishers are just because I've run into them or gone to, to lunch with them or seen. Or, you know, I see, I see a lot of people at like writer rounds and stuff. People invite me out to writer rounds and stuff where I'll see an art, see an artist player like a writer, and I'll be blown away by them and want to further integrate them into our into our into what like the group of writers that we have. It's pretty consistent that networking is. I mean, especially in Nashville, it's so you can't be successful in a. That's not an island. There's no vacuum. Yeah. There's there's no like there's, self-made. I did it. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Here, there's so. always exceptions to the rule, but but got it. Like the also like what I love about the Nashville music community just in general is everybody's so supportive of each other. It's something if something happens devastating to somebody, the entire the entire business surrounds you know just surrounds them with love like it's like one of our writers is like kind of word got out that their wife wasn't had like a health issue and I got texts from so many people like just asking about him and just say hey is he okay is his wife okay it's I think that's one of the cool things about the way our business works so like the the community that we have here is I think unique to the entire music business is there a songwriter right now that you don't have any connection to, but you are really digging what they're yeah, doing? Yeah, there's there's a guy named Michael Hardy that's my favorite writer in Nashville right now, and he's he's starting to get some cuts. He'll everybody will know who he is in two years' time. Uh, I have no doubt because so you just heard writing. it here first in our yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah, he writes for uh, writes for Cobalt, and he he just I just love everything he does. His voice is really cool, and his songs are really unique and. Uh, his he surrounded himself with good people, and I just see I just see him being a, a, a like a power horse megastar yeah. writer. Who's an artist who's developing that you're not you don't have direct ties to, but who you're just really digging? I would say Cassie Ashton writes for uh, Beth, works with uh, Beth and Creative Nation, and she is just 
she's a spitfire nutcase awesome i don't know i don't know how to even describe I think her she's I think, described as an artist yeah <laughs> she's a true <laughs> unique artist and uh she's gonna i feel like she's gonna fill this hole that the female country landscape has been missing for the last decade i, I think i think she's gonna come in and freak everybody out in the best way yeah i'm excited to see what she does her music is so unique she's so unique and I'm just pumped to see uh, I'm pumped to see where that ends up. Something that came up in another interview, they talked about like time, just being respectful because we are all so busy, being respectful of trying to square having an opportunity equally with respecting someone's time during a pitch yeah. or a, you know, like you don't want to you you want to I mean, I think we're all pretty open books and we'll meet anyone, but we just can't sit down for an hour with anybody. Yeah. It's funny. As much as you try to create new relationships with, with other publishers, sometimes there's those calls where you got to say, hey, man, this this writing combo just doesn't work. You know, there's sometimes that there comes that, that time where you just got to look at each other and be like, dude, the last 10 songs I've written are not great. Let's just pause this. You know, it's, we're all friends, but sometimes you have to have those awkward awkward conversations but you got to have them you got to keep quality up you know and part of your job as a publisher is to so your your songwriters don't have to do that i know that comes up too when you're like hey this isn't really working for me but you've got a great relationship yeah. with this writer and the and their publisher yeah. so yeah i had to do that there was recently actually like can I be the one to take the black eye and that's fine that's part of our job you know i got thick skin let them be mad at me you know yeah. i'll take the I'll take the bullet for this. You know. Because the minute the situation changes, you'll be the first one to... Well, a lot of times, especially with artists, if there's like an artist that's kind of in a floundering spot and there's a writer they're, they're really wanting to get with, it's like, I got to be con- I gotta be concerned with my guy's time. And if this, you know... I guess I, I'm, I'm just a lot of times mindful of how much time somebody's spending on a project, yeah. you know? Typical record has 11 songs on it. And it's like, if if one of my writers has written 20 songs with this artist and has missed their entire thing, then let's try to concentrate on something else. Obviously, these songs they're writing aren't good enough to make that record, so maybe that writing relationship isn't right. You know, maybe we move on to another thing. And that's okay. You know, it's, it's all right. Not everything's going to... Not everybody you connect are going are gonna to hit it off. A lot of the publishers that I've talked to, they also use the analogy of being in the publishing world is a marathon. It's not a sprint. There's never yeah. a finish line. yeah. We're we're all in it for the long game. You see a lot of companies come and go in two years' time, and it's like I feel like in the as in the publishing world, you have to dedicate at least five to ten years into a company to really see what it what its potential could be. But a lot of people, some people don't have that risk tolerance. But that's why I just wouldn't invest any money in the music business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, go invest in the stock market right yeah. now. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a better investment. This Nashville AIP podcast was brought to you by our friends at Anderson Benson Insurance. Experienced, locally owned brokers who take a creative approach to simplifying insurance and risk management. These guys are relationship people, and they have the experience to understand all the aspects of our ever-changing industry. They prepare all their clients, including me, for their next level of success. I have all my insurance accounts with them, and Anderson Benson is an important part of my team. I have cell phone numbers if I have questions, and they're always available to help. Look them up at andersonbenson.com.